So now's the time for us to sit in meditation. And we've just been chanting and recollecting the good and uh, beautiful qualities of the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha. So when we recollect the goodness of the Buddha, we recollect his great purity, his wisdom and his compassion. And this is the, the qualities of the uh, fully self-awakened Buddha. And in recollecting the Dhamma, um, we recollect this path of practice, this path that has the four paths, the four fruits, and the results of Nibbana or ending in Nibbana. So the Dhamma is something that we have to know and discover for ourselves. And it's also a kaliko, it's timeless. So with trees, um, they fruit according to season. And also the very beautiful flowers that uh, blossom on trees, they often come out in, when the weather's cold or in the, the winter times. Um, but with the Dhamma, it's a kaliko, it's timeless. It doesn't um, fruit, it doesn't bear results according to season. It doesn't just flourish or come out in the morning or in the midday, in the afternoon, in the evening, whether it's light or whether it's dark. It fruits um, independent of time. Whenever the path of sila, samadhi and banya becomes full and gathers together, then the dharma will blossom right there. So for all of us, we create goodness and we, we build up skillful qualities every day. We do our morning chanting, the evening chanting, and we try to develop and cultivate mindfulness and have stability of our hearts. And to have this mindfulness there present, knowing what's going on in our minds, bringing our minds to a place of stillness and peace. So whatever our minds are engaged in, then we know what's happening. We have mindfulness there, clearly knowing. And an example is um, a spider, and it weaves its web, and then it sits and stays carefully aware in the middle of that web. And if an insect comes along and um, contacts the web, then there'll be a shaking, a um, vibration that meets with the spider in the middle. Then the spider receives that vibration and it quickly rushes out to catch that insect and spin it up. And then when it's done that, it goes back to the middle. So we need to do the same with our practice. We have mindfulness and we keep our mindfulness at our minds. And so any impression that arises through any of the sense doors, through our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue, our body, that comes into the mind. And we're aware there at the mind, knowing any vibrations that occur. Then when we feel those vibrations, we then contemplate the impression that we've received, seeing that it's not um, permanent, it's unstable, it's not sure. And then 
the mind and the mindfulness goes back to the center again, the center in the mind. So this is how our practice can be compared to a spider. We have our mindfulness there, knowing at our hearts, at our minds. And then we close off our eyes, our ears, our nose, our tongue and our body, and just have the awareness there at the heart so that we can catch any feeling that arises. If there's any fear that comes up, maybe a fear of spirits, and the heart starts to proliferate and think. And we'll see that when it reaches the end of those thoughts and imaginations, the heart becomes still. And we'll know clearly for ourselves that all of this fear arose simply because of our thoughts and imaginations, our speculations. Just the sankharas um, in the heart that cause um, all of this fear to arise. So we'll see that it's the sankharas that produce the love and hate and fear and all the different emotions and, um, and experiences that, that we overlay. So we must take care and have um, great awareness of our minds. Seeing that um, when the mind goes and proliferates, then it creates all of these conventions. But if we bring the mind to stillness, then those drop away. So we use whatever meditation method is conducive to that stillness and calm, whether it's the recollection of death or the recollection of the Buddha. And then we guard that quiet and still mind. We know that the mind, um, when it moves away from that stillness, we know how it moves. We know what it's going to and what it's creating. And if we can keep up with that movement and be aware of it as it's happening, then the mind will experience a great brightness, lightness. And we'll see and come to understand the nature of the world, see the nature of conventions, and the mind will then experience liberation. So when people experience this or see this, then what they're doing is seeing the Dhamma, and they're gaining this timeless fruit of the Dhamma. So all of the, teachers, the teachings of the Buddha are good in and of themselves already. They're already perfect and there's nothing wrong or bad about them. All we need to do is then is to bring these teachings into our own hearts. Because the Dharma is something that's natural. It's something that's just there. We just have to learn to understand it and accept it. So this practice of guarding over our hearts carefully, of bringing up much mindfulness and taking great care of our minds, is the practice that will lead us to peace of heart, the practice that will take us to developing firm samadhi, which in turn gives rise to wisdom. And when we carry on with this practice without stopping, then we'll gain right view. And this gaining of right view is the seeing of Dhamma. So we don't need to worry about high levels of the practice, about gaining a lot of deep states of concentration or seeing visions. 
All we need to do is just develop mindfulness and wisdom. Enough to be able to solve the problems that are arising in our hearts, to be able to fix the suffering that we have experienced. And just this is enough. It's good enough already. We don't have to go and think too much about what we'll gain from the practice or developing really deep states of jhanas, absorptions, or very high states of samadhi. Because in the beginning, in order to see the Dhamma, all we have to do is bring this path of sila and samadhi and panya together. It doesn't require a very deep level of samadhi to be able to do this. All we need is what's just enough to change our wrong views into right views, and that's good enough. For the heart to experience um, some degree of emptiness so that it um, starts to become pure. And so it can change over from being a putojana, someone that is uh, thick with defilements, to um, an arya, a noble being, a noble heart. When the mind has gained this, then it will see the dangers naturally, see the dangers in the cycle of samsara, and see how we're all stuck um, in samsara, in um, this cycle of birth and death, and then birth again, and then getting old, getting sick, and dying again. We see that it's natural in this world for there to be much fighting going on. And people are born in this world and they can just carry on fighting without stop. It happens within countries, it happens internationally as well. But even if someone wins these fights, they're still stuck within old age, sickness and death. Even if they gain victory externally, they can't win over old age, sickness and death. So the Buddha, he fought a war as well. But the war that he engaged in, that he fought in, it wasn't external, but it was internal. It was in his own heart. And he carried on fighting until he was able to defeat every enemy that had been entrenched in his heart for a very long time. And through this, he attained liberation. This was a victory that no one else had gained. And then, having become victorious, he was able to teach that same path to victory so that others could gain it as well. He opened up the gates to um, this inner Buddha, the inner state of awakening. And no one else previously was able to do that. No deva, no Brahma god could do it. But if we carry on practicing and we um, gain enough samadhi so that the heart feels very full and light, so that we experience emptiness, then we'll be able to see this path of practice. We just need to look at our minds, at our hearts, and keep up our meditation um, constantly. Try to always keep buddho in our minds. And do this until the mind becomes very full. 
so that we can see into the nature of anicca, dukkha, anatta, of inconstancy, stress, and not self. And then when we gain more clarity into the nature of existence, the heart becomes even more full. We then take this back again, contemplating into this body, seeing it as just being a collection of elements, and then when these are separated out, there's merely emptiness there. And then this knowledge, this clear seeing, in turn brings more fullness into the heart. And we carry on doing this back and forth frequently until all our doubts are removed. The doubts that we had in the beginning um, um, around the understanding of Dhamma, they'll all be destroyed by this path of practice. And we'll see clearly into the nature of um, not-self. At the beginning, however, it's natural for there to be many doubts. We can wonder whether arahants really exist in this day and age. But we really don't need to think about these things. It's not necessary for us to be concerned with them. There's no point. And it's just like someone who's wondering whether there's really water in the ground. There's no point in doubting about that. All you have to do is dig. And if you carry on digging without stopping, then you'll meet with that water. So if we carry on practicing and we don't stop, whether we're sitting, standing, walking, lying down, we maintain our mindfulness. And we're constantly um, careful of our minds, watching over our minds. We have restraint and collectedness around our sense faculties, what we call uh, indriya sangvarasila, not allowing any of the impressions we experience to give rise to states of liking or disliking. So this is the practice um, that we engage in knowing any mental impression that arises in the heart. We also know enough in terms of sleep, enough in terms of um, eating. And so for sleep, we, if, if someone's very good at the practice, if their samadhi is good, then four hours is enough. But otherwise, maybe five hours, six hours, taking the total sleep during the day and the night. And this should be enough. We have a sense of awakeness within our effort. So we don't, um, we're not too concerned with food or with sleep, but rather we try to keep up our efforts. This is a practice that is never wrong and something that Mbucha taught frequently. As monks, we need to be aware of the dangers of uh, sangsara, and also to constantly reflect on the requisites that we have been given. Reflect that we use them for the purpose of freeing ourselves from suffering. So to do this, we develop mindfulness. And through developing mindfulness, um, then we, um, or we, we're able to do that no matter what we do. And if we have a lot of mindfulness, then even if we're doing work externally, um, we can be contemplating as well and contemplating that work in terms of Dhamma, in terms of Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. In doing this, um, we can gain a sense of peace throughout the whole day. And this peacefulness um, or any method that calms the mind down is samatha practice and the insight or wisdom objects 
are that of anicca, dukkha, anatta. So we should always be training our mind, constantly working on them. Always be contemplating to try to see emptiness. If we do this often, then the mind will be free of doubts in the practice. But in the beginning, there will be many doubts, and this is just normal. But doubts are a hindrance, something that prevents peace and goodness from arising in the mind. It also depends on people's characters um, as to how much they are full of doubts or worries. But it's normal that those who have read a lot of the scriptures of different teachings, that they'll have many doubts in the practice. But if we can put those aside and get down to this meditation practice, then we'll know for ourselves what peace of mind is like, what samadhi is like. Vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakada, the factors of samadhi. We may have read them previously in the scriptures, but we don't really know the taste. We don't actually know the experience of it. But when the mind turns still, then if it gets to a very stable point, even if we want to think, it just won't think. And this is the real peace of the mind, and we'll know what it's like at that point. We'll know what this very deep samadhi is like, even though we may have read about these things in the scriptures, when we experience it, it's another thing entirely. Having this peace of mind, then we contemplate into the body, seeing both the body and mind as being empty. And we know for ourselves that emptiness is like this. We'll get to know the uh, gotura pujita, um, and we'll see it for ourselves. We may have listened or read about the state of, of mind, but we won't really have tasted it. And just like a ladle that's in a pot of curry, it doesn't know the taste of that curry. But as we practice, then eventually we'll get to know these things for ourselves. We'll see that one foot is on this bank, the bank of the world, and the other foot is on the bank of the Dhamma, of Nibbana. We'll see into the nature of conventions and also the nature of liberation as well. But when we read about this, we may be confused as to why it is that if we've seen Nibbana, then why don't we just go there? Why is there still one foot on the shore of the world? We'll be confused about that and we'll want to go over to Nibbana very quickly. But the thing is, is that in that state, there still isn't the knowledge of how to go there entirely because the mind still has attachments. In order to fully go over to Nibbana, um, there needs to be a fullness in the heart and everything needs to be right and complete. There needs to be complete right view. But if the mind still has attachment, then there's wrong view still embedded in the heart. And so the heart has to retreat backwards. It has to go back to the world. There's still attachment to self and other. So therefore we need to begin again. We need to develop mindfulness and samadhi anew. Contemplate the body once again. Contemplate the mind, the mind again. And it's possible for 
someone to just contemplate the mind and for that to um, come to a state of emptiness. But the samadhi that one has needs to be very strong to do that. So when people experience the state, then they, it's like being born again. And so they need to come back to the practice again, need to develop this path that the Buddha taught. But there won't be any doubts about this path of practice. There'll be a knowledge that this path really does lead to the state of inner awakening. It leads to this brightness and a firm faith in the triple gem, in the gems of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. We'll see that and know clearly that everyone who is born in this world has to die. And there will be a great desire to find a way out of that, out of the cycle and out of suffering. And this is when the mind changes from being a good person to a noble being. There'll be a new birth in the mind. And so there also be, needs to be a coming back and developing more mindfulness, more samadhi, until there's an even clearer seeing than there was before. And when we can um, create a constant and stable samadhi in the heart, um, no matter what we're doing, um, then the practice goes very quickly at that point. We create a feeling of lightness in both body and mind. At this point, some people ask whether it's possible to just contemplate into the mind and attain to the Dhamma. But we have to be quite careful here. If samadhi is very strong, then it's possible that there is sufficient um, strength of mind to give rise to the wisdom, to see into the nature of not-self of the mind. But the samadhi has to be very stable for that to happen. And if we don't have that, then we need to come back and ask ourselves what it is that we're attaching to as a self. We need to come back to these bodies. But having experienced this very um, constant level of samadhi, um, this stage of practice can last for maybe three months, maybe six months. Having this constant state of peace and seeing into the nature of um, emptiness seeing into conventions and seeing into liberation and the mind going back and forth between these two. But it's also possible for those who have great parami um, to just complete this work within one day. Or maybe it's just one single time that they experience truth and the mind is able to go over completely. But for this to happen, there needs to be great energy and strength of the mind and their wisdom needs to be very subtle and sharp. If we can get our samadhi to a constant state so that it's always with us, then it won't be long for the practice to bear fruit. But what takes a long time is getting samadhi to this constant level so that we're able to maintain it always, whether we're standing, sitting, walking, lying down. So that the mind doesn't shake at all. It doesn't go off to the left or to the right. 
Sometimes it's necessary for us to contemplate in order to bring about peace of mind. We need to look into our hearts and try to maintain this peace and to do it often. To contemplate things as being not sure and uncertain so that our minds are able to stay in a state of peace. And this is using wisdom to cultivate samadhi. In the end, this path of sila, samadhi and panya comes together and we're able to gain an understanding of the path in its entirety, that we need to use both samadhi and wisdom together. But before we get to that point, there can be quarreling or um, uh, arguing that happens. Maybe some person is going on the path of samadhi and another person is walking the path of wisdom and they can argue with each other. You see that the person who's taking the path of samadhi, they're not thinking about anything. There's just stillness. So how can wisdom possibly arise? And those who take the path of samadhi, they say that the other side, they're just thinking about things and there's no stillness, there's no strength to their mind. But really, both of these need to be used together because this path has um, the factors of sila, samadhi and panya together. And this is the, bar, the path that the Buddha taught for us to free ourselves from suffering. Those who have walked this path, what we call um, the beings who are um, supatipano, ujupatipano, jnanapatipano, samichipatipano, these um, aryas, the noble beings, they're the ones who have taken this path um, and have seen and known for themselves. But they don't claim to be anything. All they've done is abandoned wrong views. They've abandoned a sense of self and realized emptiness. But they don't claim to... Um, they don't make any claims of ownership over this. There's a knowledge that arises, but that knowing isn't them or theirs. So maybe we've read many things, we've listened to many things, but this doesn't give rise to a true knowing in our hearts. What we need to do is to walk this path ourselves until we reach a place um, where wisdom does arise. And to do that, we develop our baramis and we carry on in this path of practice. We develop the powers of the mind, of faith, of energy, effort, of mindfulness, samadhi and wisdom. And carry on doing this until the path, the maga, collects together and comes into one thing. When it gathers together, then there'll be an insight or a knowing a clear knowing of the Dhamma. So there's no need to think about jhanas. All we have to do is um, change our minds so that they gain right view, so that they're able to see Nibbana. And the first state of seeing this is that of a Sotapanna. Having gained peace of mind and an insight into the Dhamma, we also simultaneously gain a knowledge or a, an awareness of the danger of not having these things. We see the danger of the mind that is devoid of calm and peace, devoid of samadhi. 
And this gives us incentive, encouragement to walk further on this path of practice and to um, gain more of an understanding of the Dhamma. So today is the one prat, the Lunar Observance Days, and the day, and uh, the monks who have gathered together, they'll stay up until at least midnight. And for the lay people, you should be intent and sincere in your practice as well. And so uh, today is the uh, 12th, and may all of you grow and develop in the Dhamma. <laughs>